Hello, and welcome to Untitled Tallgeist Podcast, a Gundam Wing podcast where four friends of varying degrees of experience and fanaticism rewatch Gundam Wing and talk about both the series and our fandom experiences. Um, I'm your moderator for this episode. I'm Kathy, and I'm joined by Kat, Mallory, and Caitlin to talk about episodes three and episodes four of Gundam Wing. So episode three is Five Gundams Confirmed, and episode four is The Victoria Nightmare. We open episode three with Hiro captured by the Alliance. Relina visits uh, with the supervision of Major Sally Poe, and Duo Maxwell, the pilot of Death Scythe, breaks them out. Meanwhile, Zex determines that the next Gundam target will be the Corsica base, which produces Leo mobile suits in the Mediterranean Sea. An old friend, Commander Walker, introduces Zex to Talgies. Title of hey, the podcast. That's the name of the show. One of the original mobile suit prototypes. The base is immediately attacked by Troa and then Katra, the pilots of Heavy Arms and Sand Rock, respectively. Zex escapes with the tall geese. Troa and Katra surrender to each other, and Hiro resets his leg, horrifying duo. In the next episode, Zex heads to the Victoria base, where we are introduced to Noin, an old classmate who is now an instructor. Wufei attacks the Victoria base in the middle of the night to prevent Oz from moving their tourist suits off base. Noin, as the barely older adult, I believe she is canonically 19, hesitates to kill Wufei when she realizes he is, quote, just a child, leaving Wufei to destroy the tourist transport plane. Humiliated by an arrogant 15-year-old, Noin returns to Zex where she agrees to accompany him on his quest to find more and defeat the Gundams. Meanwhile, Hiro tries to fix Wing Gundam, ignoring Duo, who greatly regrets his decision to rescue Hiro. Duo is surprised that he is capable of fixing his Gundam, but wakes up the next morning to find that Hiro has simply cannibalized Duo's death scythe. Hiro shoots down a shipment of Gundanium alloy, we get a montage of Troa and Katra making music, and then Wufei mysteriously fights wild animals screaming into the night, which is approximately how I feel now. <laughs> so... A lot happened in those two episodes. Um, I would say that these are like very famous episodes um, in the Gundam Wing canon for various reasons, especially episode four. I want to start off, my first talking point about this was one of the reasons why episodes three and four are so uh, memorable, at least to me, is that they set up what I consider the canonical, quote, pairings. And these aren't necessarily romantic, but it's one times two, which is Hiro and Duo. Three times four, Troa and Katra. And then Wu Fei with this sort of like question mark, but also Wu Fei with Zex, Trays, and that whole like weird adult contingent. Like that's actually his pairing. Um, so <laughs> I think this, these two episodes really try to set that up. And I'm interested what you guys felt about it, like kind of knowing what you do now and then just rewatching these episodes. God, Katra and Troa are just so in love. Yeah, they're like destined to be in love. <laughs> Why are they like this I don't, I don't know how to put this they they are just like everybody else is fighting in episode four they're just like relaxing and playing violin and flute well i mean katra was introduced to us while he was like sunbathing and enjoying the birds and art and beauty so i think that's just part of his character like he seems like the type of dude who appreciates the finer things in life he is also like the rich gundam pilot too yeah. as we find out later and he has his whole team of people that are like wow so nice that master Katra found a friend who doesn't <laughs> want to kill him that also raises the question of one, of one of the funny things about the duo and hero situation where like duo has people helping him hero has nobody yeah Katra has a gang of 40 dudes who are his 
servants bodyguards and they love him and they're dedicated to him yeah 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 well who wouldn't be i liked that both of the pairings had somebody being like wow we're so similar or like wow these gundam suits are so similar it's eerie like yeah i i always thought this was really funny i mean duo especially is like oh i can fix your suit with our spare parts and also your mission sounds strangely like my mission but they don't ever have a conversation that's like why are you here no why are you here and like have a discussion about that Instead, he just sort of is like, it's so weird that your mission is just like mine. And if you fail, you'll probably be in just as much trouble as I will. But like, bye, buddy. Thanks for nothing. It would be too easy to ask. Right? He thinks to himself, who is he? And then it's just like, okay. It's also unclear to me, like, how much they know. Right. Like, they don't, they didn't realize that there were other Gundams coming down, it seems like. They don't have a sense of a wider conspiracy behind this. It just seems like they get direct orders about whatever mission they're supposed to do at that time, and that's it. Well, so from, we know from the intro they were sent from certain colonies, but you'd think at some point they would be like, yo, so we both got Gundams. Do you got an old guy scientist? Because I got an old guy scientist. <laughs> Let's compare old guy scientists. Or even like, what's your mission? Like when Katra and Troa both show up to fight Oz and then Troa just goes for him. Well, and Katra is like, well, we shouldn't be fighting because we're two alike. Hey, hottie. Hey. Can't you tell by how brightly colored our fancy mobile suits are that we're good guys? Like, they just <laughs> they just unite because they're main characters. Yeah, and I also find it fascinating, given that, that duo breaks Hiro out of the um, Alliance Hospital. I, I, I really don't really know what his motivation there is other than, I, I don't know, to advance the plot. I don't know, like... That they're in love? That he has a big old crush? Yeah, he's just intrigued by him. He's interested and fascinated in this person, and he wants to see what is he going to do if I let him out. Clearly, he's dangerous, right? And, like, he can set a bone by himself. But he doesn't know he can set a bone by himself until he rescues Hiro out of the hospital. He just sort of trusts that he'll rescue Hiro out of the hospital and it'll be worth it. And then he'll return this mobile suit to him. It's the exact same as Relina's motivation for stalking Hero in episode one and two, <laughs> which is that they're just intrigued. Like, they just are intrigued by this hero person. Yeah, I mean, he wonders to himself, like, who is he? I need to know. And he knows he's a Gundam pilot, so um, in theory, since Duo is fighting the Alliance, I guess maybe that's sort of the subtext. Like, I'm going to break you out because we're both Gundam pilots, even though I don't really know what that means yet. Right. Or like, your enemy is my enemy, clearly. Like, we're both against the Alliance, so we might be able to work together, it seems like. That was how I was reading his, like, motivation. These episodes also really set up the type of pairing that they're going to end up being in fandom, which is that, like, one and two, they're always sort of, like, not quite communicating with each other. Yes, Um, The the dynamic is sort of based around this idea that they don't quite always fit together. Um, Whereas Mm -hmm. three and four is about them being totally in sync and totally in love from, like, day one. Yeah, they're such a such a schmoopy pairing they're so they're like destined because they get the theme as soon as they meet it's really annoying disclosure disclosure i like am one of those people i don't like otps and i despise soulmates (laughs) it it is one of my least favorite relationship dynamics um with like a few minor caveats but like troa and katra (laughs) hit all of those things i hate about it like they're they're so corny they are so like instantly like wrapped up in each other they seem to have like 
no conversation to allow me <laughs> any entrance into the relationship. And so it's like, it is... They have music. They communicate with their instruments. Exactly. They don't talk to each other. I don't have anything. They just like each other because they're supposed to. And for me, this is like a quintessential like background fanfic pairing. Where like I'm reading a I'm reading a fanfic about like a pairing I find exciting. And then three and four mm. are off in the background. They're just in love. There's no explanation. And I'm just sort of ignoring it. I always see them as like they're the stable couple in love that like say, for instance, duo and hero have to like come to for advice and like sort of rational advice but it's never that rational because tro is a big weirdo well they're like they're like the gay senpai they're they're like they're like advanced in in their homosexuality in their relationship (laughs) and therefore the other couples have to come to them because they're like the uncles so i was was thinking about this because troa is just like a big fucking weirdo in this and these like his intro where he's like mm, that would have been the right move but I'm in a Gundam bitch so um <laughs> like he's narrating like like battle strategies to himself like Catra is kind of that guy except when he's being driven insane mm-hmm. by the zero system but Troa I think isn't just yeah. like a hot stoic guy that he just always is in fan fiction like, yeah. he has feelings and emotions that he wants to express through flute playing. I think it's hard to describe that in fanfic. So, like, I think Troa, right now at least, feels like a character whose voice is a little harder to capture than the others. Like, it's a little harder to, like, I don't know, mimic his voice Do you in think fanfic. these are the episodes, like, watching these episodes, and we watched them a couple times to get the subs and the dubs, these feel like the root of all Gundam Wing fan fiction. I totally Like, fuck the rest of the show. Yes. Yes. And 100%. Yes. I don't need to know anything else. Which is why I'm really interested in seeing where this, like, where this goes and how these relationships develop because I only know these pairings. Like, these are the pairings that were set for me in my, like, nascent Gundam Wing fandom, um, surface-level fandom, so I'm curious to see how, like, as I watch this series, like, where is it going to go? And will I like other pairings better? That's These were, like, the, the ones that cemented in my brain. Um, so being able to watch the whole series in its entirety, like, pretty consecutively, curious to see how, like, whether I will end up hating three and four, too. <laughs> yeah. The other thing is that, as Kathy, as Kathy already pointed out, these episodes set up Wufei and the grown-ups? Like, I guess because Wufei doesn't have his equivalent amongst the main five. He gets set up with, like, Trez and Zex, and he's in, like, that sort of circle, whereas the other Gundam pilots are in a totally different, like, fandom group. Well, one, I think Wufei often ends up being the token straight man. Also, like, Mm -hmm. I don't want to slash him. Yes. He's often paired with Sally Poe, who's who's also introduced here. Who I love. But I think you have this, the, the separate pairings of Trace and Zex, or Zex and Noin, and then it's setting the stage because Zex is like, oh, I've had some trouble with that Gundam. Um, Ooh, they have history. Yeah, so yeah. Now, now that's getting set up. But I think, I don't know that Wu Fei's connection has been like locked in with the Oz guys yet. I think he's very mm-hmm. much a loner. Another thing about episodes three and four laying the base of the fandom is that Zex is very much the avatar that I think people 
think Relina is supposed to be in the first couple of episodes. But actually, Zex is the one who walks us through the discovery of every Gundam. He's the only character, I think, in this series so far who has met in some capacity all five of them. He is like incredibly important in the openings in the opening episodes and so it's really fascinating to me then that he has um this like crossover with Wufei he doesn't actually meet Wufei but to that point I think like it is just weird to see those like lines intersect what I what I'm trying to talk around is I think in the opening couple of episodes it's really through Zex that we're seeing like the alliance portion and the colony portion and the plot like all converge. And so naturally Wufei is Wufei gets like tangled up in this adult mess because that's the way that we get Zex to meet him. Wait, I think that the reason that Zex takes on that role is partly because right. he's sort of the most if if you know only the original Gundam series or only know it in generalities. He's the character that's the most recognizable. He's the Shar equivalent. He yeah, yeah. in this episode in episode four, we find out that he has this like other name, like the secret backstory where he's like, you know, whatever prince of whatever. Now I can't remember. <laughs> but it's it's like hinted at that he is he is sort of a a character type that we recognize. Whereas if you compare like Hero to Amuro Rei, he's a very different character type. He's not really that relatable. He's not really a, like a main character t- sort of figure. Um, I really like what you said about Zex being that sort of audience eyes character because I know we talked about this a little in previous episodes, but the kind of how genre tropes are what let you know that the Gundam pilots are the good guys. Because like Wufei, huge asshole in this. And like Zex is kind of, to me, slightly more sympathetic because he's the only person that's like, my soldiers are dying. Like, these people are dying, and I care about that, um, as opposed to other aspects of the military and the alliance that we see. But obviously, like, because I know anything about storytelling and cartoons and anime, I'm like, well, but he's... And, like, obviously it's not quite so black and white as the series goes on, but right now, like, it's setting up that dichotomy. Uh, To go to your point, like, about the tropes that make people seem like heroes like one thing I'm thinking about is like why did I not come away with the first four episodes thinking that Zex is in fact the hero of Gundam Wing and and I know this is something we wanted to talk about age I really think that one of the major factors is Zex simply comes off as way too old and there is no way that a man of his age was going to be the main character of Gundam Wing yeah um so I I do think that that is really interesting and you know I think Zex is like what can I think he's like Maybe 20, 21? Okay, I was just about to ask how I old think he's he the same is. age as Noin because they were in the same class together. Yeah, he's like he's like 20. So he's like 20. I, and I know we kind of want to have a little bit of this conversation. He sounds really... He sounds older to me in the dub. He always sounds older to me in the dub. I remember the first time I realized that he and Trey's were in their 20s. I had always, in my head, thought Zex was like at least in his mid-20s and Trey's in his 30s. Right. So it's crazy to me that scene where they are 30 coded. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And and especially in the dub, like um, watching the subtitles with Noin, I was like, oh, yeah, this whole scene with Wufei and your students and all this stuff makes way more sense than the dub where she sounds like, yeah, she's kind of in her 30s. She's. She's seen it all, mm-hmm. has experience. Right. So you, it, I didn't understand why she was like, 
all of my calculations will stop my men from getting killed. And it's like, you can't do that math. Like your, your people are going to die. And it makes a lot more sense in the sub in the sub version because she sounds younger and a lot more naive. So you understand it's like, I don't know. I always, they always seem coded, coded as older, sort of like what you were saying, Kat, about, um, like, are they a CW? Yeah. Are they, are they like CW teens? Are they like Degrassi high teens? Like how old are the Gundam pilots and how old are we supposed to read them? And that's the same with the Oz. Like we're all calling them adults, but, they're not adults, but they're adults comparatively or relatively. Right. Wait, I'm really, I'm really intrigued by this idea that Noin makes more sense in the sub because she sounds younger. Where I, where I think the entire series would make more sense if they were actually 25 and up. Like it doesn't make any sense why she's teaching. Oh, why she's teaching why she... like a class of Ender's Game students. Yeah. Wait. So. I actually think this series does make a lot more sense if you think of Oz as a bunch of young new guys because they are the, like the young hotshot new guys. They are the disruptors of the alliance, essentially. They're like the Silicon Valley of military yeah, right now. They're that, but they're also an, an aristocratic return to like tradition and honor and like culture. They're, so we like, talked about yeah. this a little, the idea that they're young upstarts, but they're also being backed by like these yield timey traditional yeah, aristocrats. Right. So the traditional soldiers hate them. And like you get Bonaparte, the Alliance soldier in the blimp. So you're like yield timey things where his radio cracks out and he's like, this is what happens when you rely on like equipment. <laughs> so like there's that, the sort of like anti-technology bent even though the aristocrats are supposed to be traditional? Like, are the aristocrats more into technology, even though they're traditional because they have money and it's like that money is... And they can like keep their own hierarchy in place outside of the military? Yeah. Right. Well, I think, I think for the show, the appeal is that you need villains of some sort. You want them to be appealing because it's good to have villains who charm people. Mm-hmm. Um, and aristocratic villains are really well loved by anime fans like right, you, and they're really like, stylish these, yeah these like classy villains who like whatever whatever the hell Trez is doing shooting pigeons i don't know taking a bubble bath yeah taking the bubble bath in the parthenon or something and, like, oh my god a rose scented bubble bath <laughs> yeah and they're all like lady lady Yoon or like all this like sort of titles and like training Wait, but hold on. Lady is actually her first name. That's oh, yes, that's right. True. Oh. <laughs> Unfortunately. <laughs> oh, no. That's horrible. I'm sorry to ruin this for everybody, but Lady Un is, in fact, her name. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, if we want to talk about their ages, I think Noin makes sense in that scene as a younger person. And right. it also seems like she doesn't have the same pedigree, which is why Zex is, like, out doing all this stuff. And yeah. she's teaching. Well, and she's also, like a woman too. Her interaction also with Wufei makes more sense as a 19 year old because the way that she reacts is so 19 year like is so a teen still a teenager to me. She takes the bait. Like she takes the bait. She takes it personally and it's like meant to be personal and meant to get under her skin and you can clearly see it's going to stay under her skin. Like when he's like, ugh, woman. Right. She's like, oh I'm freaked like she freaks out she doesn't manage to hit him on the motorcycle when it's like the whole episode has been talking about how competent she is Mm -hmm. and I think 
like lets if they him, were she lets him get under her skin and that to right. me is like a indicative of someone who is younger and more hot-headed and a little naive um and thinking about her as like say an a late 20s early 30s person who presumably would have more like experience in this military hierarchy um i don't necessarily think that she that she would be acting that way if she were older okay wait i disagree i'm gonna jump in okay i, I think that we are way overthinking this age thing i i don't think yeah, I, I don't think ages in anime mean this much like i think yeah. they're just like a coded like uh signal to tell you like what sort of character it is so like main care main characters are teens Mm-hmm. You get this like range of, of characters who are sort of like separate from the main characters, but still important. They're maybe a little bit older. And then everybody over like 30 is just dead. Like they're just nobody. Or they're horrible. I, I, I don't think age is that important to characterization. I, I, do ag- I do agree with you, Caitlin. I do think in anime there is teenage, adult, and like ancient. Yeah. And th- those are the only three ages. That said, I do think it is interesting to Mallory's point um, their reading of what Noin is like because we know that Noin is 1920 and how that like shockingly does kind of match yes. up to what they did with the characterization. I love that. I do love that there are, yeah, there are moments where that actually works yeah. despite the anime trope. Wait, I do agree with that, and I, but I think it's gender. Like I think what we're supposed to get from Noin's situation right now is that she's so super competent, but in fact she fucks all this shit up. It's a very typical gendered trope where you're told in statements that a woman is very skilled. In fact, she is outplayed by the male protagonist. Like, I get the the gender dichotomy, and I think it is really interesting because she is like, like, we meet other women fighters, but she's like our most consistent woman in a mobile suit yeah. throughout the series. Um, but I think a lot of it is also sort of that inexperience versus experience that you yeah, get between the yeah. traditional soldiers and like she's training these these people not just because she's so competent but because they're creating like their own specials forces right yeah, so right. adhering it to whatever these young people think they should be taught and so it's kind of like also that wake up call that I don't actually have like field experience and in that yeah. sense, it does make sense that they mm-hmm. are teens. Yeah, that's true. Yes. So I'm going to hijack this conversation and move it to another point. Go for it. Um, related to Noin, which is the weird sexiness of episode four. Oh, my they're, God. They're in a sexy club. So erotic. I don't know if it's because suddenly we have all of these, like, anime adults. And so now we're going to have sexy times. But what it really, what episode four really drove home to for me is there are three women in episode four that are presented. Noin, Relina yelling at Hiro to come over here and kill her, and well, Noin tapping Zex's sword in a like room full of karaoke lights. It's incredible. I love that scene. Relina, Relina asking Hiro to come over here and kill her, and then Lady Un drawing up a bubble bath for Trays with the promise that she will bring rose oil next time. And I think there's. What I love about all these three scenes and these three dynamics is like Gundam Wing is full of very aggressive and like confrontational and forward women. Like they are very forward <laughs> yes. and very straightforward about their interest in these men. They do not fuck around. Yeah. Like they are not going to hide their feelings and they're not going to like pretend to be shy and that they don't care about you. They will tell you. And on the flip side, you have these men who are just like dead fish. <laughs> like it's like oh, they're yeah. too scared or like too passive or maybe too gay to respond 
to these really, really straightforward overtures. And I think that's like really interesting. I'm sure there are other examples, but this like episode four really drove home to me like how rare that is in anime to have women who are like so straightforward and be like, basically like, I like you, I will follow you to the ends of the earth. There's no tsundere to any of them. There's no like, yes, there's exactly. no like tsundere. They're they're just dere dere but like in a like crazy way. So this is fascinating to me because even as a young tween watching in Toonami, I was always like, why the fuck is Nine into this dude? She rules. She's hot. She's got a super gay haircut. And watching these episodes again, I was like, is this just? compulsory heterosexuality <laughs> like okay but we see com- compulsory heterosexuality in everything right but it's just sort of like okay you're 19 you went to like ender's game military high school with this guy you got um <laughs> the only photographs you have in your room are photographs of zex with- oh that's with so with, so his mask on. with his mask on with she's- his mask on <laughs> but she's probably never even seen his face Oh my yeah. gosh, she's in love with him. So watching that, it's just sort of like, oh, he's like your best friend. It's really pure and beautiful. Actually. And that's pretty much it, because there aren't any other women. And it's just like, girl, girl, Zex is literally I, one giant red flag. One giant red so flag. I so disagree with this, but I'm going to let Caitlin talk about I it. I do not even remotely, like, I'm also inclined to think everybody's a lesbian. I think Noise is pretty straightforwardly just obsessed with Zex. I, I don't I don't get any like compulsory heterosexuality from that. I just think it's like I just think she loves him. I don't understand why she's obsessed with him. Because he ignores her and he's super talented and But he isn't he isn't even that good at his job. But why does it make sense that Duo is obsessed with Hudo, but not that Noin is obsessed with It doesn't. Like, I think... Oh yeah, it's, it's very similar, yeah. I feel like it makes a lot of sense. Like, here is this man, she knows that he has a tragic past because she knows his real last name. Right. And he goes around, he's always in a mask, and he's like the top of their class. He has this nickname, the Lightning Baron. Yeah. He's like the right <sighs> hand of the special forces lead, Trace Kushernada. Like, it's not surprising to me at all that Noin, who's probably been surrounded by men all her life, like, picked the most, uh, like, competent and interesting one to, like, obsess over. That's not really what surprises me. It's, like, her picking him to be, like, the dude she's super into makes total sense to me. Like, yeah, they were classmates. She helped him out. He was probably, like, her only intellectual peer. That's kind of how they set it up. That totally makes sense to me for her to be, like, diminishing herself to promote him, um, I don't think, like, I guess that's just a thing that could happen. Just like Duo is a chaos demon who is like, what if I break this guy out? That'd be interesting and fun. Um, I'm waiting on repairs. It's a very stupid anime romance. Like, 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 yeah, it's, it's I not agree. written by somebody who'd interacted with a woman, probably. Um, sure. <laughs> in a while. It was, yeah. it's just like. But I always felt like she was visually cued up to be super gay. The haircut plus her military yeah. dress uniform. No. When she's got the cape, the pants, the boots. I don't know. I literally had that haircut for a while. <laughs> <laughs> she's, she's very erotic from like a lesbian perspective. She's super hot. I, but I don't think I don't think we're meant to read it that way. Oh, that's that's fine. Okay, that's I don't fine. I don't yeah. know that the show is trying to tell me she's a lesbian. That doesn't mean I don't think yeah. she's a lesbian. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like I feel like the reason why I do not think that she is lesbian is because later on we will meet a female character who I will not talk about right now, who I feel like is 100% coded as supposed to be lesbian. And I don't 
Is it Dorothy? Dorothy? It's Dorothy. Like, I feel like Dorothy is, like, so totally coded yes. as a lesbian, and she's so different from, like, how Noin is presented. So, like, to me, I feel like if they wanted to code somebody as lesbian, they knew how to do it. I mean, I'm happy to, I'm happy to read anybody as a lesbian. Dorothy's the lipstick lesbian. Noin is, like, the tomboy butch lesbian. Yeah. Is it just me, or does that karaoke sword scene read, like, a slash fit? Yeah. Yes. yes. Only with a heterosexual yes. relationship. Yeah. And, like, so that's one thing that I've always loved about this pairing. Um, I know a lot of people in fandom, there's sometimes this discourse, like, oh, we would have more X kind of writing if only dynamics were set up, like, a slash couple. And, like, every single time I read that discourse, I think of Noin and Zex, because they feel so much like a slash couple, only Noin is for all intents and purposes, presented as a biological woman who is heterosexual. Like going to school together and being like one and two, being rivals, but also sort of respecting each other. It's very, it's very slashy. The thing is that because it's heterosexual, it's kind of sad. Like in a, if it were- a, it, No, it, were, it, it, it really feels is. really sad. You're not wrong. If, if it were a slash pairing, there would be a reason why they don't get together because they haven't realized they're gay yet. Because it's a heterosexual pairing, there's no such barrier. And so it's just like Noin's pining after Zex, who's like so focused on his mission or whatever, whatever that he won't even won't even look at her. He this, completely takes her for granted. This and, episode doesn't really set up why Zex hasn't tapped that yet. He's just he's thinking about his mission, even though he clearly like really respects her. I think that he's he's would probably like return to her if when all of this is complete, you know? Well, on that note, um, I'm going to move to talking about duo because I love to talk about duo. And so one thing that I wanted to bring up is, so I watched episodes three and four, both in the dub version and then the original Japanese. Duo's dub lines, I believe, in episodes three and episodes four are just like simply legendary. <laughs> like the part where he compares Kiro to like evil yes. and evil. I've never forgotten that line. Like when I heard that line, I was like back in <laughs> school again watching this on Toonami. It was probably the first time I'd ever heard the words evil Knievel. I, I just, I love, I love the dub that they gave Duo because he is so playful and weird. And like, I I, I particularly loved episodes three four to talk about this dub and Duo and Hiro's relationship because of just like that dynamism in their dub voices. But I'm wondering if, the, if you guys watched three and four in dub or had any other thoughts about the other voice actors or characters as they're presented and if there's any differences, which is something we talked about last time, but just wanted to bring it up again. Wait, so I wanted to make the point that, I mean, I want to talk more about Duo, but real quick, like, so people have disagreed, but um, I think that I feel like the aristocrats, particularly Zex, Trez to a lesser extent, they've given them a little bit of like a, like a gay accent in the dub. That is just not there at all in the Japanese. But I also think there are like word choices that were a little a little bit weird. And, and like it seems like a deliberate choice in some ways to cue in the aristocratic aspects. But in the Japanese, it's just not it's just not there at all. I wonder how much of that is just how much of American media has coded aristocratic characters sort of gaily. So right. like, yes. or like, even if you're trying to write aristocratic dialogue, it's just going to be a little queer coded. Right. Or like they're fancy boys and we associate fancy boys with like queerness to a certain degree, like Western audiences at least. Yeah. I think, I think that's mostly what it is, but it's, it's also like, it was just shocking to me that it's not there at all in the Japanese, as far as I can tell. Like there's, there's not even like a, I, I mean, if anything, it's coded, it's coded more masculine. 
But Caitlin, do you think that's just because we know Takahito Koyasu and like who he voices? I wonder if any of this is like a bias. Wait, I, I don't, I'm thinking about like the word choices, like the way that they talk. Okay. Is not, I, I don't, I'm not, I'm not thinking of the voice. Well, as a non-Japanese knower or speaker, to me, they do sound pretty, like, they sound fancier than the other characters. Mm -hmm. But I think my biggest struggle with the subtitle is that, like, dubbed lines are indelibly burnt into my brain. So watching, like, all the hero duo scenes, I'm like, wow, I just thinking about this dub, like, delivery of this line on top of it. I think this is where, like, it sort of depends on what you watched first because I always watched the sub versions. Mm-hmm. So to me, that duo voice actor is like, that's just duo's voice to me. And the dub version is fun and I like it, but I also can't separate that voice from what Scott, Scott McNeil. McNeil looks like um, <laughs> in my head. And so the there's oh, like, there's, there's a visual dissonance for me in Duo's appearance versus his American voice that right now, three episodes in, is hard for me to square from the like high school love I had for the subtitle episodes that I watched. I think Duo in the dub is like a really unique example of a dub actor who is just... I mean, he, he does sound too old to me, but he mm-hmm. sounds great and he's really funny. And those lines are, they're adapted so well. Like, that's it's a really good localization. Is he not making jokes in the Japanese version? He's not making as many jokes, which is typical. Like, like, like anime like this, and like, they don't make a lot of jokes, you know? Whereas in the American version, he is making jokes. And it's funny. Like, the, like the evil Knievel line is, is like really classic. Like, you can write that English line to not have any joke or reference. Like, you could just do a straightforward yes. what, like, what he's saying. And in the Japanese, I kind of forget exactly what he's saying. But I mean, he expresses the same sentiment just with no like flair. And I yeah. feel like that's what the American lines and the voice actors have. They just gave Duo this flair that like I can't, I cannot separate. it's a a really good choice um i am really in favor of fun localizations Uh, i don't think it works quite as well for some of the other characters that's what i'm saying with zex i don't i don't think they conveyed him correctly in in his localization um i think hero is a little more flirtatious with duo in the dub yeah like oh yeah for me i feel like the subversion it's duo flirting with hero and hero not not noticing him at all and i like to me in the dub version it's hero kind of flirting back and pushing more buttons and duo being like what the what the hell is happening here yeah like oh my god oh my god <laughs> yeah hero's a little bit more sassy he is so sassy in the in the dub I, like i've been really enjoying that cuz i think he's like so much more he's a more interesting character <laughs> he's like a little bit sarcastic like yeah he's not just a robot in a robot which I think the Japanese what it sounds like to me. Which I guess is yeah. also the point. Who he is. Right. Yes. So um, I had a fandom artifact I wanted us to cover for these two episodes. Um, it's, a, it's a fic called Good Morning Walker and it's written by Alex Sank. In Good Morning Walker, it is a fanfic about um, Walker, who you meet in episode three. He's the guy who meets... Zax and hands him tall geese. Oh. Um, and Walker, of course, <laughs> as you know, dies at the hands of Katra in that episode. Yes. That's it. He's a one episode character. He never comes back and nobody ever talks about him ever again. He exists to give us our podcast title and then departs into the ether. Yes. Wait, so Kathy, explain the fanfic. 
I read it and it depressed me. So basically Walker um, has, I, I believe, I for, kind of forget what, like what specific illness, but he has an illness. He's got like a chronic pain thing happening. It, that's not in the show at all, right? That's not in the show. So, um, so it, it's a very simple story. You know, they kind of do a backstory. They show you a little bit of Walker's interaction with Zex. Zex actually does know that Walker is taking this medication. Um, he kind of asks him why. And then, like, it explains Walker's, like, philosophy, which is essentially that he is, like, fixated on Zex's discussion about the soldiers of tomorrow, probably because he has so short to live like of a life to live himself and then it ends of course with walker dying at the hands of katra in Sandrock, and that's it it's just like a very simple story man i have not been to gundamwingaddiction.com by the way yeah. in a long time yes it also serves as an explanation for why walker is so devoted to zex which is that he and zex shared this intimate conversation and zex did not rat him out I just think it's a really interesting story because like I didn't give a second thought to Walker <laughs> like after I saw this episode it's clear that many of you also did not really notice his existence or that that was his name and so um to me it, it is like a really it's an unusual fic and that's probably why I've remembered it because um mm-hmm. like the idea that this story existed was like to me already very rare and it just it just is like the 24 hours of Walker's existence in the episode and that's it I was thinking that it's it's was unusual, but it is a genre I recognize. Like this sort of like trying to give a backstory to a character who doesn't seem to have a backstory. Not or, in Gundam Wing fandom though. Yeah, I don't I don't really I can't remember any other examples. But it is like a genre I recognize from other fandoms. And it's also right. one of those things that like it, it's not gonna make your fandom reputation. Like mm. it like you have to be writing other stuff if you want to be like fandom famous, so to speak. But it is like the sort of fic that is often very memorable. Also, I think gun- is Gundam Wing Addiction like its own artifact? Yeah. <laughs> so Alexank is more famous in Gundam Wing fandom for writing Anna Texas, which is yeah. a um, very long for its time. I don't think we would consider it particularly long now in the age of AO3. But at the time, it was a long multi-part story set after Endless Waltz, set after all of the Gundam canon. It's very... It's very sci-fi and like very like weirdly serious <laughs> in, in, in a real in a way that I felt was like very specific to Gundam Wing fandom because they was like trying to grapple with all these ideas about technology and pain and retribution and all this other stuff. So he ran so Alexank also did a lot of like really cute doujinshi and like fan art and stuff. And so he had his own website that went under um, and then was essentially rescued by um, a larger fanfic archive called Gundam Wing Addiction. I do like that they started um, rescuing a lot of like individual sites because this was sort of like fanfiction.net was around, but everybody still had vanity, vanity geocities or whatever, Angel Fire, that kind of stuff. The whole site is still up in its in its original formatting, so to speak. Yeah. So Gundam Wing Addiction rescued what I, I believe the entire site is called the Fountain District. That was Alexis Inc.'s like, thing. And Mission Acknowledged was the specific Gundam Wing part of it. I mean, I would say Good Morning Walker, while short and a little bit overly sentimental, um, is in Alexis Inc.'s wheelhouse, which is like things that very much, I think, try to reflect like the philosophical questions as silly or as real as they may have been in Gundam Wing. So it is really fun. I recommend you guys explore if you haven't already. But yeah, that's why I wanted to do Good Morning Walker because it was a way of like introducing Alex Sank without having to get you guys to read Anna Texas. I love it. I enjoyed learning Walker's name. Thank you guys all for joining us. 
see you guys next time where we will watch episodes five and six. Hear about our new episodes on Twitter at TallGeesePod. Find our full transcriptions on Tumblr at untitledtallgeesepodcast.tumblr.com and follow us on Instagram at untitledtallgeesepodcast for behind-the-scenes deets, fandom artifacts, and memes.